Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 31. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 31, and I've entitled this, uh, this section of verses, The Turning of Laban's Countenance, because it really, uh, we could see it coming, uh, but really it sets the tone for the remainder of this chapter, which Lord willing, uh, we'll be able to, to capture in, in one outline, probably a couple of Wednesdays worth of study. Genesis chapter 31, we're going to look at the first 16 verses here. And it says, And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And I don't want to interrupt this for too long, but we should point out that this is really the first uh, we see of Jacob and the Lord conversing, and it's, it happens quite a bit in these 16 verses, but it's the first time we've seen it in quite a few chapters. And Jacob sent and called Rachel, lay it to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. And if he had thus, the speckled shall, uh, and if if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ring straked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold. The rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes, and see, all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. How significant is it that uh, it's as though the Lord, through the inspiration of the Lord in the chronicling of these events, he even knows this is the first time the reader will read of Jacob and the Lord speaking to one another, and he references the last time we saw Jacob and the Lord speaking to one another. And we notice from what we've seen in between that it's not that the Lord forsook Jacob, there's very little seeking after the Lord from Jacob himself. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours, and our children's. Now then, whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. There are three factors uh, that entered into Jacob's, Jacob's decision to leave. Uh, and we've kind of been pointing toward this for a while. But here are those three. The changed attitude of Laban, which is the title of this message, the, the turning of Laban's countenance, if you will. The need for establishing his own home, which we talked about last time. Uh, Jacob looked up after 20-some years and realized he actually had nothing. Uh, he'd worked and worked and worked. He'd had two wives plus two concubine wives, uh, a litter of children at this point, but he really had nothing for which he would be able to earn an income and care for his family. 
And the third thing, most of all, the direct leading of the Lord. He's informed of God, it's time to go. What a blessing it is, even when we don't necessarily want to go, when God directly tells us what it is that we are to do. Uh, it's, it's exceeding rare these days, and probably only because we don't listen. We don't stop. We don't turn off the noise and actually listen to hear what our Father would have for us to do. God had reminded Jacob of his Bethel vow. I wonder how that might have felt to the backslider. To hear and be reminded of that vision of the ladder that he had when he built that pillar. The last time before he, uh, he had strapped upon himself the burdens of being a father, being a husband to multiple wives, working away, and, and as we pointed out, kind of serving Laban, if you will, almost worshiping Laban, doing as he's been instructed. The backslider now had to return and fulfill his promises to the Lord who had blessed him. Rachel and Leah agreed to go, but their decision was uh, somewhat based on material considerations that God had given all this stuff to Jacob from their father. Uh, but there's, there's other things at play here as well. It is encouraging, though, to hear a wife say to her husband, Whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. Uh, and and I, I know that my wife's not the only wife in the room who's done that, but it makes it a lot easier to accept a call to go pastor a church 11 hours away uh, when your wife encourages you to follow and be faithful unto God. We wonder if these wives knew anything about Jac Jacob's Bethel experience up to this point. Had he ever talked about that dream? Had he ever talked about what connected uh, creation to its creator? Had he ever talked about the mercy of God up until this point? Had he ever discussed what took place between his mother, Rebecca, and himself with Isaac and Esau? Don't know. It's interesting that Laban's sons enter the picture, and we should note that they express a concern not too dissimilar from what the daughters seem to point out there at the end. And they express a concern uh, that we are losing our inheritance to this in-law. They're crying it out unto their father. Daddy, he's, he's running away with the farm. He's running away with that which you've worked so hard for, and we will have nothing, it seems they cry. Their hope, their security was in daddy's land, livestock, and liquid assets. Is this your hope? I don't pretend that anyone here is filthy rich, but is your hope in uh, some rich uncle perishing? Leaving you a multitude of uh, tools in which you can address every concern, every heartache, every physical ache, every need that this life has remaining? As you consider what is at play here in this household, we must note that God is very much and has always been very much in control, and he is blessing his servant as he sees fit. He permitted Jacob to go down this path. He permitted Jacob to spend 20-some years working for Laban, working for these wives. He permitted the Mandrake affair that we just looked at last Wednesday night. He permitted all of these things. Was he honored by it? No. Was it a type of worship? Well, no, as we know, not everything, just because we want to call it worship, actually is worship. So no, we don't recognize worship in these 20-some years. What hope could the Labansons have here? 
What hope did they have? Their whole lives they were waiting for daddy's uh, assets to fall to them. And it seems here that those things are leaving with Jacob. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how a lost person could find comfort in what we read in this text. I mean, could you imagine uh, Laban saying, look, boys, it's okay. You're not going to have any of my stuff because God gave it to Jacob. I don't know how a lost person would find con uh, consolation in that, especially a God they don't believe in. But they're not getting the windfall. So how would they find comfort in these words? If you're here and lost, understand the eternity of riches, eternal security that lies ahead. It's going to fall to those who have inherited it. It is not going to fall to everyone. If you've never repented a day in your life, you better cry out to Laban because you have nothing waiting for you except eternal punishment. Well, those are harsh words, preacher. WTVA, get out of my sermon. Those are harsh words, preacher. This could be the end of the line. This could be the last sermon you ever hear on repentance. If you've never done it, you're not saved. Because God breaks the heart of His elect and causes for them to repent and yearn to grow closer to Him. And your puffed upness, your pride will have no place at His throne. Without God, this could have continued on and on and on to the end of a generation. They would have nothing but empty barns. Even Jacob could have departed empty-handed. Listen to what he says in verse 42 of this chapter, which we'll get to, uh, Lord willing, a couple Wednesdays. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked thee yesterday night. Genesis 31, 42. So Jacob says, I was cared for not by the hand of Laban. I was cared for not because I earned it. I was cared for by the mercy of God, except God. It's pretty similar to but Jesus that we see in the New Testament. Every time there's something coming our way we didn't earn. Perhaps this is even why our text tells us that he called his wives, he called Laban's daughters out to the field to have this conversation. Maybe away from earshot of Laban and Laban's sons, where he could honestly have a conversation with them. This, this area in which they're having this conversation is his workplace. It's where he toiled to earn their hands. It's where he had worked for 20 plus years to feed a monster known as Laban that now is, well, very soon going to be breathing down his neck. There's a show of mercy here that God instructs Jacob to take his blessings and move on. It is also, however, a curse. Consider what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. I, I do intend to read the whole chapter. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I will, for time's sake, go ahead and get started. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the, Beth, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. Jacob's in a similar situation. Uh, we don't see where he questions God here, but uh, there had to be a concern that if he goes, 
I mean, this was a concern he had 20 years prior too. If I leave, Esau will hunt me down. He says here, if I leave, this was Samuel speaking, if I leave, Saul will come after me. He will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither had the Lord chosen this. And again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for he will not sit down till for for we will not sit down till he cometh, or till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Now you probably wonder, why would the pastor read all of this? Remember how this chapter started. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servants said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before thee to seek out a man who is a cunning player on an harp. And it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well, and bring him to me. So the Lord has Samuel to anoint David, and, uh, and this this evilness, this spirit or whatever, falls upon Saul. We can deal with that when we study Samuel at some point. Uh, and and Samuel in the beginning is concerned that Saul will hear and kill me. The Lord is at play on all fronts. Listen to who this musician is. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, that is cunning and playing and a mighty, valiant man, and a man of war, and prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Boy, Saul should have just known right away, this is going to be trouble. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse, and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread, and a bottle of wine, and a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray thee, stand before me, for he hath found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. 
if you mark your margins before you leave that uh, section of text, we might want to mark uh, in particular here, uh, Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David I pray, uh, pray for thee for he found favor in my sight. It is not nearly as important that David found favor in Saul's sight than that David found favor in God's sight. God arranged all these things. And it's just like what we see with Jacob currently. God arranged all these things. Oh, preacher, the torment from Laban? He permitted it. And it turned out for good for Jacob, did it not? Jacob's leaving fat, baby. He's got cattle. He's got goods. We're going to read later where he's got servants. He's likely got camels, because I believe we're going to read that Rachel's sitting on one in a little bit. They're doing just fine. Could God have done it any other way? He could have, but Jacob didn't wait on the Lord. Jacob didn't seek after the Lord. God's will was still done. Another interesting subject to consider from this text is how God retrieves his prodigal. God spoke to him. This is a man that had not, to our knowledge, and again, we believe Jacob might be the writer for this portion of Genesis. This is a man who never once confesses in his own writing to seek after the Lord after that vision. So how does God retrieve his prodigal? How often do we in the flesh say, this one's so backslidden, this one's so far gone, this one there's no hope for, maybe this lost person, there's no way God could reach him. How could God possibly reach him? God speaks. And that's how he reaches him. And then we immediately jump to, that's too easy. How did he save you? Did you not hear the gospel preached? Do you think God didn't have a hand in arranging that for you? God speaks, and the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. I bet the first uh, word coming out of the sky, or however that, that would have worked, scared Jacob to death. But he knew who it was. We don't soon forget who our father is. This results in a reintroduction of God to Jacob's conversation. Listen to what, how Jacob speaks going forward. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the, field, to the field unto his flock and said unto them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before. Remember how he has spoken this last few chapters. And he says, but the God of my father has been with me. And by the way, this is like a nickname now. The God of my father. This is how Jacob refers to him now. Before he says, am I the Lord? To Rachel, his beloved wife. Before he allows Laban to slander the name of God and, and, and speaking of him in a way in which he was made prosperous by him. And he says, and you know that with all my power I have served your father. And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times. But listen again, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Suddenly Jacob speaking with reverence. Suddenly Jacob is giving thanks to God. How'd this happen? The Lord spoke unto him. Here we see Jacob is also now able to acknowledge God's involvement in his affairs. See it again as we continue. If he said thus, uh, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he had said thus, the ring straked shall be thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring straked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. Now, I don't know how honest the other men in the room will be, but I mean, if I, if I worked for 20 years and I've got four wives to impress... My flesh is probably going to say, I did this. 
I mean, let's be honest, guys. Four wives. I'm sure you want to impress Bree, but I mean, imagine three more Brees. He's giving all the credit to God. All the glory to God. Is he not good with livestock? Is he not good in the fields? We, we talked just three sermons ago, intentionally, about how this is a trade in which he had done for his own father. So for decades now, this was something he was very knowledgeable about. How to motivate the cattle to, uh, to procreate, how to continue to tend to the flock. We'll see in the, in the next outline uh, that every time any of the livestock was lost, it didn't cost the shepherd a thing. Or, or rather the owner, I think, Jacob absorbed all of that. He replaced what was injured with his own cattle. He made sure that Laban lost nothing. And he gives the glory to God here. This is not the way we've seen Jacob speaking up to this point. Also from this text, we see that God required the return of his child. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me, now arise, get thee out from this land, and return to the land of thy kindred. This almost reads like that just happened. But it was 20 plus years ago. Just how far does a slider have to go back before they're unreachable by God the Father? You're not going to slide far enough if you're His. He will retrieve you. It says, oh, it just happened when we read these words. These pillars have been dry from that anointing liquid for years and yet freshly poured in the mind of God. Be warned, backslider, if you are truly His, you will not be permitted to drift forever. Jesus Himself said in Luke 12, 48, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. Let's circle back uh, and consider Rachel and Leah here. In their comments at the end of the text, they say, And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted of him strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God hath taken from our father, that is ours and our children's, now then whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. They too now recognize that their father's countenance had turned. It had changed. Uh, this, this is now a man that has worked their husband over. This isn't the same. He doesn't seem to have a compassion for them as family as much as employees. How devastating for these women to recognize that their father hath sold them. This is their words. Hath sold them and he devoured the work of their husband and was paid out as wages for them. They were learning a hard lesson that we must all learn. This world is not home for God's people. Rebecca and I share a home office. There's a lot of things I hear now from families that call into that law firm that I wish I'd never heard. How parents would just decide they don't want their child any longer because they have some disability or some uh, something that's perceived as an attitude problem. It's heartbreaking. But why would we be surprised that this world doesn't love children? This world has slaughtered children for ages. That's not new. That, that wasn't a 20th century invention. For ages. We do not need bigger barns. We need bigger faiths. 
We don't need to be able to store more. We need to be able to love more. We need to be able to trust God more. We need to be able to, to pray and believe that there is God on the other end of our prayers. Luke 18, 22, Jesus said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When we read that, I guess it comes down to just how, how much do we value this idea of treasure in heaven? How much do we value having access to heaven? I guess that'll help dictate our compassion and our charity in our walk. I want to consider another New Testament passage before we close. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 22. Jesus said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body, what ye shall put on. I'm going to keep reading, but I want you to maybe write in the margins or in your notes tonight, who's he talking to? Is he talking to the entirety of the elect of God? Is he speaking of a faith that we are all required to have? To walk in faith? He says that the life is more than meat and the body is more than raiment. He says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have uh, storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you with taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies. By the way, the world still has ravens, and it still has lilies. That might help us answer the question I present to you. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothe the grass, which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And we also know that is still true. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have... And give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. This is a reference to what we, uh, I, I believe this is what Paul references rather in Ephesians with what we just wrapped up on Sunday. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. 
And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. To answer the question that I presented, then we have to know who he's coming back for. We have to know who those servants are that he speaks of being blessed. We have to know exactly who he's calling for to be ever watching and ever ready for his return. And if it's you, then you are the one he's saying, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, what you'll put on the body, because your Father in heaven careth for you. Now, I've found at 42 years old that the majority of the things I say I can't do is because I don't want to do them. And a lot of that is wrapped up in the fact that I don't believe it can happen because I'm so wrapped up in a laundry list of other priorities I have made for myself. I can't possibly go do this thing because then how will I make money for the groceries, money for gas in the gas tank, and so on and so on and so on. And I imagine I'm not a mutant, to reference your point earlier, that I'm probably like most human beings. We have so many things that we're so concerned about, like the storm and the rain that's happening now, but if I get back to Guntown before 8 o'clock, what will I do if a tornado's heading the same direction? I'm not going to stop it. And if indeed it floods, like the flood watch we have now until Friday, will Miss Sharon go out and put her arms up and stop the waters? No. But our Father in Heaven knows it's coming. He sent it. And He's uh, described here as one who careth greatly for us. I think at times our faith has been put in bags with holes in it. And it leaks out. And we find ourselves scrambling. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do if Asbury has a revival? What are we going to do with the Catholic roots that seem to be tied to that revival? Does God not know of such things? Pray for real revival. You've been given access to the throne. Beseech the Lord that he might grant a real revival. Because now there's an abundance of people that have likely been lied to, but they're looking for the Lord. And we have been given a gift of faith in which we are going to be able to wait for him. I have a great concern over our faith. I, I really hope we all do. It's one of those things I don't know that we're ever going to reach the capacity of. Lord, increase my faith. None in the Bible have ever been described as saying, Lord, please decrease my faith. I've got too much. Not, I don't have any doubt or fear anymore. I just believe in you entirely, and everything you say you're going to do, I just trust you're going to do it. Moses might have been one of the ones who was closest to that, but we never ever read of him saying, Oh, Lord, just decrease my faith. He smote the rock twice. He's an imperfect vessel like you and I. Lord, increase our faith. There's a great peace for the believer to know that though we may have a walk similar to Lazarus, we will one day enjoy the wealth of our great king, for whom we are the child. It's a great blessing to read of Jacob's wives faithfully following him. Listen to the end of that again. Whatsoever God has said unto thee, do. 
God is truly the only one who can bring about such peace in the home. And maybe that's why we don't see a whole lot of peace in homes today. Ladies, if you want to be a good wife unto your husband, you get home tonight. You tell him, whatever God has set for you to do, do it. If God would have for you to teach, teach. If God would have for you to tithe more, do it. We'll trust Him. Because you trust your husband. And you trust that the Lord knit you together. And you trust that He knows what is best for you. Husbands, if you want to be good husbands, uh, and there's probably songs written about this, listen to your wife if that's what she goes home and tells you tonight. Listen to your wife. Be faithful unto God. He's in control of all things.